In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says that we, followers of Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith in Christ, are citizens of heaven. And if that is the case, my friend, we are away from home. And I wonder if you've ever done any traveling, foreign country with different customs. And I mean, my son is living in Bangkok. I think he's been there five years, perhaps long enough not to be a foreigner anymore. He knows the ways and the cultures and understands how the society functions. But how do you fit in? You know, is it, do you take the stance in this world? Hey, when in Rome, do like the Romans? You know, just live and dress and, and uh, talk just like everyone else. You know, try and fit in. Is that the goal for Christians? Well, it is in some ways, my friends. There are certainly laws and rules that are, are, are for us. There may be cultural standards that we will never bow to. But, my friends, there are certain things we must do. And Paul talks about this here in uh, Romans chapter 13, specifically in relationship to government. I mean, in 1 Peter 2 and 11, Peter refers to us as aliens and strangers. This is not our home. We are set to heaven. We are pilgrims. You know what a pilgrim is? Someone who's headed home. And that ought to be the frame of our thinking, our thoughts. When I think about this context, I am reminded of Jeremiah in chapter 29 and the history of what was going on in the nation of Israel. You see, in, in the situation there, Israel had rebelled against God year after year after year, 750, I mean, just astounding record of rebellion against God. And he was sending them captives into a foreign land. He had raised up the Assyrians to attack the northern kingdom of Israel and the Babylonians to, to attack the southern kingdom of Judah and to take all of Israel out of this promised land for 70 years. And they had some questions. How are we supposed to live? Should we rebel against these people? I mean, day after day? Well, here's the problem. It was God's will that they should be taken away. How do you operate? And in verses 4 to 7, this is the counsel that the Lord through Jeremiah gave to those people. He says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But notice here at verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
Some pretty powerful principles there of how to live this side of heaven. And when Paul gets to chapter 13, you remember the first 11 chapters of Romans were very much doctrinal, talking about our sin and our judgment, and then talking about our great salvation, how we are declared righteous by, righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Saved by faith, not by works. There is nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. We depend only on what Christ has done. And so the instruction that is laid out here, my friends, in response to the questions of this church, is how ought they to live under the authority of the Roman government? You know, like your government, my friends. These people were crucifying people, literally. This was a hard, hard, hard time to live. And instead of saying, hey, just keep your head low and, you know, try and sneak around. And he gave them some very clear instruction that, my friend, is for you and I here today. How ought you and I, who are citizens of heaven, to live on this side of heaven? Well, instruction number one from verses one to five is this. Obey the government. Man, there it is, clear as could be. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then he tells us this. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. If there is a government, my friend, it is there because God has instituted it. Why should you obey the government? Because the government has been instituted by God. And then you will notice here in verse 2, those who disobey the government disobey God. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. That's pretty clear stuff. Apparently, we ought to take a different look at that stop sign, which people so easily just glide right on through, because that has been instituted by our government, which has been instituted by our God. Interesting. And then Paul tells us this. In verses 3 to 5, that government, the government itself, is a minister of God. And so government is to be a, a servant for our good. Look at what Paul says here. For rulers, verse 3, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you know what this is like. You're cruising down the highway. Maybe by cruising, you're uh, maybe 10 or 12 uh, miles per hour beyond the speed limit. And then you see the lights go on and your heart drops. And then they drive by you. And then you swear, I will never speed ever again. I will never. Yeah. You see, it's not a terror to do what is good. 
It is only a terror to do what is evil. You constantly have to look over your shoulder when you violate the laws. But note this carefully, my friends. Government is not only a servant for good. Government is to carry out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Part of their responsibility, my friends. Government being used of God to control sin, at least to make an immediate penalty for those who decide, well, I don't care about the Ten Commandments. I will take whatever I want. I will do to others as I feel like doing. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword or nine millimeter in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Man, there goes that police car right by me, knowing that I deserved never have to look over your shoulder, my friends, if you're doing the right thing. You never have to wonder what someone else knows if you do that which is right. So, my friends, it gets worse. Not only are we to uh, obey the government, we are supposed to support the government. Friends, this isn't from some party 101. This is the Bible we're reading here. Look at here in verses 6 to 10. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Wow. So the Bible says you're going to support the minister that God has placed in authority over you. Boy, that seems to be a principle in a lot of ways, though, I'll tell you. Because look at here, for the authorities are ministers of God attending this very thing. Here's the question. Should we as Christians pay taxes to this government? The answer is yes. Yes. But notice, my friends, it continues in verse 7. Not only do we pay taxes, we must give honor. That's a tough one to do. Pay to all who is owed to them. Taxes to those to whom taxes are owed and revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect, to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so God expects an attitude toward the government that perhaps is different than many people have. Pay taxes, give honor. But perhaps most important here in verses 8 to 10, be a good citizen. You know how to be a good citizen in the United States of America? It doesn't start with a study of the Constitution. As a believer, you want to make an impact in your world, your world, live well. Live well. Live well. Look at what Paul says here in verse 8. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Tell me what law is violated in any country when someone demonstrates love for someone else. 
Certainly this is what all of the world looks for. It is what every person craves is to be loved, to be valued, to be cared about. People taking action for the good of someone else. That's love. That's love. And I'll tell you what, you start practicing that in all your relationships, you're going to change your world. You're going to change the people around you. Because love satisfies the law. And here in verses 9 and 10, love seeks out the best for your neighbor. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to cut him off. I'm not going to throw golf balls out my window. And cars that drive too close to my bumper. <laughs> it's a different attitude to have, isn't it? Let's see. God has placed that person in my sphere of influence that I might demonstrate the love of God to them. Man, that changes everything, doesn't it? That anyone that is in your life right now that has seemed like a thorn in your side is there for you to demonstrate the love of God to. Because does the scriptures not say that we are to also love our enemies? Paul tells us this stuff because it also heaps burning coals on their head. I think we just read that in our chapter 12. They don't know what to do about it. You're supposed to be fighting me, not loving me. Hard to have a fight with somebody who loves you. I'll tell you that. So the instructions here, my friend, obey the government. There it is. It's all being taped. Listen to it again. But we're talking about the word of God here. Support the government, pay taxes, give honor, and be a good citizen. By loving other people. The best neighbor in your neighborhood is the one who looks out for other people. You know it's true. If you don't know who that is, my friend, it ought to be you, huh? It ought to be you. And finally, prepare for the Lord's return. How do you live on this side of heaven? You get ready for the Lord's return. We have three instructions here. I'm sorry, two. First is look out. Besides this, you know that the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleeping. You've been cruising through this Christian life of yours as if nothing ever changes and and a little bit of energy is fine. It's better than no energy. It's time to wake up, Paul says. The hour has come for you to wake up. And the time of your salvation is near. He says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And that makes sense, right? I mean, I trusted Christ sometime in the early 80s. <coughs> Sorry about that. Did we hit the cough button on that? <laughs> yeah. My friends, the Lord is going to return. And it will happen 
just like that. And you will be gone and your influence here will be over. There will be no more second chances. I should really talk to my family member, that cousin I haven't talked to, and I, I just know they need to know about Christ, and I, I got to get to that sometime. The time is now, my friends. I mean, maybe right now, get up, get out of here, go make the phone call kind of now. There are no guaranteed moments, my friends, or hours. Act today. And then comes our second instruction, and that is this. Clean up. Clean up your act. You know, one of the reasons that we are not practically holy is that we really have no concept of how holy our God is and how offensive our sin truly is to God. It is walking around in the mud and clumping through somebody's living room, bedroom, on top of their comforter. <laughs> like, that gets worse and worse and worse, and my friends, that doesn't even come close. If only we could understand how offensive sin is to God. Remember, we can learn a little bit about it. What was the penalty for sin? It's death. What sort of death? Eternal punishment. Take a look at what Jesus endured. You want to know what you deserve because of your lie? Go ahead and read the story of how they crucified our Lord Jesus and the insults the stabbing him through the side and that crown of thorns and the nails and the paralysis and the suffocating. Yeah, that's how much God takes serious our sin. Clean it up. Cast it off. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You say, what in the world is that? That is Christ-honoring living. When you, when you evaluate every thought and every action and say, how can I honor my God? Cast off sin and walk straight. Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not into orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. How much in your world right now do you plan to sin? You plan to be there at the right time, at the right place, to see the wrong things, to participate in that which is evil. Oh, I got to catch that TV show. You know, where that guy is sleeping with someone else's wife. And, and we, we plan to participate in these things. And you say, how do we participate in these things? Well, by watching it, we support it. And we say, give us more. 
more TV like that. And that the movies, my friends, and perhaps the Spirit of God has begun to poke at your heart about some other things. The Word of God warns you, do not, do not make provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Look, if you ought not to be eating those chips, stop buying them. I said that one to me. I felt very convicted about it too. But it's true. Stop making provision for such things. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, you don't dig in the, dark, in the garden while you're wearing a dress, do you, ladies? Wait a minute, you just did that. Well, there goes that illustration. <laughs> or a suit or anything else in prop. You, you dress for the occasion. If you dress well, my friends, then live well. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What is that? Christ-honoring living. And that is a lifestyle, my friends, in which we evaluate our own actions and our own thoughts. And we say, how in the world does that honor Christ for me to be a part of that? To talk that way, to engage that kind of conversation. We evaluate. And we say, no, I will not live that way. Why? Because I serve the Lord Christ. Well, my friends, be a good guest in this world. That's what we are. Be a good guest. Don't be the ugly American. Don't be the careless, selfish individual that so many people are. Be a good guest in this world, for we are temporary residents whose true home is heaven. And my friends, if our home is heaven, let's live like it. What does that look like? How about this? Obey the law. Government says, don't do that. Don't do it. We talk about stop signs again. Speed limits. Yeah, let's talk about that. Maybe this one. Stay in your lane, for heaven's sakes. And show honor as they are ministers of God, my friends. Show them how to be honorable by living honorably yourself. You want to change your world? Change your life. And suddenly your world is different. You never know how it will impact someone else. And obey the law until it contra uh, contradicts God's word. Yeah, that's true. In robe. Take a pinch of incense, throw it in, and say, what? Caesar is Lord. Well, we can't say that because we know that Jesus is Lord. There's a time where you got to say no. The government doesn't get to tell me not to obey my God. It does not get to tell me to do things that are offensive to my God. It cannot. But know this, mobs. Teaching your children to be good guests as we await our arrival home ought to be part of what it means to be a mom who's following Christ. Prepare your kids for heaven. The end. Let's pray. Father, we just heard some truth. 
We laid it out as clear as we could so that we would understand what it is you've called us to do and how to live in this world. And the evil one even now would snatch that truth from our mind, distract us with other thoughts. Oh, Spirit of God, work mightily in our mind today. Convince us, Lord, that this is the way to live. Things would begin to change. And in changing our life, we could begin to change our world. Help us, God, for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing with me.